the real world Austin cast has arrived and no one seems to like them. Plus, a whole cast of Fresh Meat are here to try their luck in the challenge. Coral and Evan absolutely dominate until they physically can't do so any longer. Tina and Kenny are a match made in heaven. Wes yells at his partner and his girlfriend. The angel that is DM Brown begins her challenge journey. And TJ has these folks swimming with sharks, running 10 miles on a beach and diving deep down into the ocean's depths. This man has lost it. It's the challenge. Fresh meat, full season rewatch and recap coming at you right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to. The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things. The Challenge, past, present, or future, if it's happening in the Challenge universe, and we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated Challenge Historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very, very much for being here with me today. On today's podcast, the 2022 Challenge Series Rewatch rolls along into season number 12, Fresh Meat, one of my favorite seasons of all time, just subjectively favorite, maybe my favorite theme and or sub-franchise, the Fresh Meat 1 and 2, uh, just one of the absolute favorites of all time here. So I'm very excited to talk about this one with you, and there is a lot to cover. This is a groundbreaking season in many ways for the challenge. This season is an absolutely kick-ass one, objectively, not just my favorite, but is objectively an absolutely kick-ass season of this show. So we've got a lot to get to. We will use the same agenda we've been doing for all of the rewatch series, which if you haven't been following along, if you're new to the show, this is season 12 we're covering today, which means we've covered seasons 1 through 11, so feel free, go back, listen to all those, any of them that you've missed. Other quick programming notes, we will continue our Challenge USA coverage this week. That episode 3 recap will be out super late Wednesday night. It'll be there right away Thursday morning in your feeds, ready to go right after you've watched the episode the night before. And then this series, this rewatch series, will continue uh, sometime next week, possibly even this Friday, but we might push it a full week between until next Monday. But the duel is the next season, another massive, massive season in the history of the show. So a lot to cover there, a lot coming as always. Hit that follow, hit that subscribe button. Follow us over on Instagram at Challenge Historian if you want to get in touch or get more challenge content related to these seasons and everything else challenge related. With that, let's go ahead and dive on in. Let's start things off diving into season 12, fresh meat, the same way we always do. Let's talk the state of the challenge, some of the basics, all the high, high, high level stuff about this wonderful, kick-ass, amazing season. We start things off, we ease our way into the waters here with the state of the challenge at the time, which really hasn't changed much with uh, from what we've talked about the last couple seasons of the show. The challenge is just completely and utterly in a groove right at this point. It's 2006. They're still, you know, going strong on the two a year, if not kind of two and a third, two and a quarter. They're, you know, it's not an exact 12-month schedule. They're kind of on like an 11, 10 and a half to 11-month schedule. So we're getting some, you know, the overlap years and things like that. But this one airs all, you know, in the summer, fall of 20, 2006 and is shot, you know, a few months 
prior to that, and the show is totally in its groove, and it's it's starting to take some chances. It's starting to flex its muscle a little bit. It has not only you know been around for more than you know ten seasons. It's not just this established thing, but it's so established, it's so dominant that they can flex their muscles a little bit. And you know, this season we're going to talk about the evolutions here in a moment. But you know, for the, the biggest thing being, they're willing to say, hey. We've still got this great stable of stars. We're, you know, still got more people, new people we can bring into this, but let's just go ahead and find 12 brand new people off the street. Let's see if we can pull that off and make stars out of them, which they would do very, very well. So definitely a big flex for them. The challenge is, you know, is riding high. It is it is absolutely as dominant as it's been and probably ever will really be. That's a little bit arguable, but it's definitely at uh at its apex for sure and staying there for quite a while as is the real world the real world is now just the singular feeder system to the challenge at this time obviously with this season though again the fresh meat concept being kind of a secondary feeder system but the real world still st- holding strong at its apex absolute power position Obviously, this season brings in the Austin cast, where it's filming or an airing right alongside of Real World Key West, which is a you know massive, massive season. So for so many reasons, so Real World couldn't be hotter. Has been burning hot for you know five, six, seven years at this point. It is just the biggest thing MTV has going, and one of the biggest things television has going in general, genre specific or not. Road Rules still dead at this point. We're a year out from the ill-fated attempted revival of Road Rules, but at this point, it is completely dead. And elsewhere in the reality competition world, it should be noted, Survivor is going strong. Also on their 12th season, basically aired within a month or two of each other, their 12th season with this 12th season of The Challenge. And Survivor at this time remains one of the biggest shows on television, literally out of any possible show it is, you know, network shows are dominant at this point in time in 2006, but Survivor is one of those. It's averaging 16 million viewers in its 12th season, which, you know, down from its 20 million, 20 plus million for a few seasons there. But Survivor is still one of the biggest things in the, the world of television in general, which is helping boost other reality competition shows and certainly the challenge as, you know, Others would say Big Brother, Amazing Race, maybe around this time were a little more known or challenging the throne just because of, again, the network versus MTV. But you know how my feelings on this. I'm I'm shouting out Survivor for a reason. It deserves it. Survivor and the challenge for me always will be in a class of their own. Amazing Race, Big Brother, you know, a half step below as those are the big four. But it's really kind of a big two and a second two in my book. So that's where the challenge is at. Making stars flexing this muscle, saying we can bring people off the street and continue doing the same thing as they would prove to do. Let's talk the basics of the season. Let's get into now just this season. Fresh Meat, season number 12, uh, aired from May 29th to September 11th, 2006. It was filmed in Mayakum, Australia. They seem to be all over Australia. I'd love to um, maybe message a couple cast members that were on this season and find out. I know they travel quite a bit, especially in some of the early seasons for how far the house to the daily challenges or the eliminations, things like that would be. But this one, it's they kind of have three locations throughout wherever they are that then become the three locations where they have an exile set up. But there's kind of the combine field that turns into where they do three or four daily challenges and it has an exile right off the side of it and a few others, but it seems like they travel really far from where the house is to where the other stuff is. But 
it's in Australia. It's in Mayakum as the the the, play, the listed city or established place that it revolves around. TJ Lavin is back as host. His second season of what would come to be, you know, many, many, many forever seasons long. Love TJ Lavin. There is 16 episodes this season plus a reunion special. It is the first time I have noticed a major error on the Wikipedia site for the challenge where it for some reason says 19 total episodes and I'm not sure where they're getting the extra two if there's two specials or reunion bonuses or shit they should have shown or something like that that I'm not finding I'm not seeing anywhere out in the world please someone let me know cuz I would love to watch any I'd love to watch anything bonus challenge but specifically this season bonus this season would love that so if you know why uh some places list 19 episodes when I'm only finding 16 in a reunion you let me know and then of course there are 24 cast members this season down a touch you know it's bad it's been back and forth at this point from when it really vaulted up way back in season five to 32 and then 36 we've been a little back and forth we had 20 36 20 32 now 24 let's read who those 24 folks are for you in order by team we've got well, actually, let's go with the the alumni first and then the fresh meat after that. That makes it a little easier. On the alumni side, 12 of them. We got Darrell from Campus Crawl, Tina from South Pacific, Wes from Real World Austin, Derek from Extreme, Theo from Velocity Tour, Shane from Campus Crawl, Coral from Back to New York, Katie from The Quest, Tanya from Chicago, and then Johanna, Melinda, and Danny also from the real world. Austin on the fresh meat side, 12 folks, brand new, never had been on reality television before. That's Aviv, Kenny, Casey, DM, Shonda, Lynette, Evan, Eric, Big Easy, Banks, Johnny, Jesse, Ryan, and Evelyn. So we've got 24 cast members, a little bit on the smaller side, but that is because the game is way different and we've got a huge format shift and that leads us right into the evolutions, the first, the history, all of the first of its kind stuff that took place this season. And the obvious one, the one that has to be started with is that this season is a partner season. You thought I was going to start with the fresh meat. No, that'll be second. First and foremost, it's a partner season and that is a massive shift that would come to be There is no standard for individual versus partners at this point in the modern era of the challenge. But when I personally think of the challenge and I, you know, without running the numbers, I think when we look back, uh, just as many seasons have partners as, you know, do teams or individuals. Partners feels like the base kind of formula of the challenge these days. And this is the first time we ever got it. The first time they went away from two large teams and brought it into pairings, which completely and utterly changed how the game was played in so, so many ways. But it was so great. And it, you know, it's an evolution that sticks with the game for a long time to come. As we said, it's, you know, the best, when you think of some of the best seasons of all time, Aside from a couple of these early ones we've already done on the rewatch series, a lot of the ones you're going to think of probably revolve around partners as the base format of the season. The second thing then that probably the actual most obvious is fresh meter here. This is the first time ever we have people that are not from the real world or the road rules. And not only that, they're not from any show at all. They're just straight off the streets, either fans of the show or people that, you know, wanted to be on the show. A lot of these people we would find out after the fact, you know, had auditioned for the real world maybe at some point 
and were brought in as fresh meat instead, or possibly some people that auditioned for this that didn't quite make this season or couldn't make this season, then ended up on the real world afterwards. I'm thinking specifically of John A., who, uh, who's one of many I've heard this story from, but I think hers was related to fresh meat too. That would make way more sense with the timing of her season, but uh, they have a huge cast, you know, and they're only now pulling into the real world. They don't have the road rules to do as well. And so this fresh meat, you know, worked as a good way for them to say, you know, we've got way more than, you know, the seven people we're putting in a real world house. We've got way more than seven good candidates here coming through the casting process. What if we found a way to throw another 12 of them just straight into the challenge instead of having to, you know, go through another show or create some other feeder system show. So we've got fresh meat. That was a huge, huge deal. It would be, you know, another seven seasons till we did Fresh Meat 2, and we would do the same concept again, and I don't remember off the top of my head the first season that ever allowed any, you know, Are You the One, and then other shows after that, but it was a long, long, long time before any non-real-world Road Rules players come into the challenge world, except for the fresh meat on this season and the follow-up seven seasons later. So that's a huge evolution, a huge first history being made. The third one then, we've got Exile now. Instead of Eliminations, we've got Exile. Way different, kind of. I guess I shouldn't say way different, but obviously a massive change-up from, you know, we've had a few seasons now, three or four, with Eliminations in them. We're sending people home. We've had... You know, a couple seasons send people home without an elimination, the Battle of the Sexes season. But, you know, we're we're sending people home, and this time we're changing it up. Instead of one-on-one matchups, it's two-on-two because of the partner setting. And instead of two-on-two in a bunch of random games that you don't know until you get there and everyone else is watching, this one, no one gets to watch. And it's essentially, I don't, it, I shouldn't even say a mini-final because... Up until they eventually run this season's final, what they do in exile in this season is basically as as difficult and as long as any final almost that's been run to this point in challenge history. So they're almost making them do, you know, a version of a final from the previous seasons in exile. It's way different. Uh, It's a very, very interesting twist. We will talk more about that uh, later on in the podcast, but it's a huge, huge change for the show. Fourth thing, then, this one, not so much an evolution, but uh, an unfortunate first that takes place this season is that it's for the first time ever, we have two individuals get disqualified due to injuries. Evan and Coral head home this season. It's a major storyline we will discuss when we get to that portion of the podcast, but it is the very first one. It took 12 seasons in until someone got hurt to the effect of having to be eliminated from the game. And in this instance... Uh, they definitely did not want to go home either, which is crazy. And again, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But the fifth and final then big kind of history being made, we already alluded to it when saying the exiles were basically previous finals. This final then became the new standard bear. This was a 10 mile or they say 10 miles on the beach long final with six checkpoints along the way, two of which are puzzles, which you can either have to carry weight or not carry weight. They almost all, they all end up carrying weight for at least part of it. Most of them end up carrying a bunch of weight, a bunch of the time. And it is the first true endurance event. I mean, 10 miles is a real endurance event, especially carrying weight, doing stuff along the way. And it's hard to tell, you know, 
it, well, it's not hard to tell. I believe it's the 10 miles just based on the fact that when Darrell and Aviv finish, it is still very much light out. And when the other two teams finish, it is pitch black. It has clearly been dark for a while. There is a massive gap between when those teams finish, which would allude to how big of a distance there could possibly be to cover. But it's always hard to tell because the, you know, the final mission in screen time, we see about 12 minutes worth of screen time. So we're like, oh, this isn't that, this isn't that long. They seem to be getting from one checkpoint to the other really, really quick. And that's just because they have 12 minutes to tell this story that probably, you know, took five, six hours or whatever it took in real time. So that was a huge change and obviously an evolution that would only continue to grow and evolve bigger, badder, scarier, harder from this point out. But this feels like a, a true massive step forward where there's been a couple small steps forward before this one feels like the the next big big step of like all right we've made these finals what they are now why don't we double it up why don't we make it twice as long as anything we've done before that's what they got and then finally let's touch on a couple stats because there was some history made on the statistical front this season the first one uh, outside of an individual statistics just for the show in general, I haven't been necessarily keeping you up to date on these on previous seasons, but I will now. This this season saw uh, the 50th ever elimination round. We are at the end of the season. We've had 52 eliminations ever in the history of the show, so we crossed that 50 eliminations barrier, which is a big milestone. The end of the season, we're at 171 episodes, not counting reunions or specials of any kind, just regular episodes of the show, and 147 daily challenges competed. So we're starting to really rack up numbers and really show, you know, it's not just 12 seasons in, but there's been there's been a lot that's went down. And on the statistical front, some history, big time history made on this season, it starts with Darrell, of course. Darrell becomes the four-time champion, the four-by-four champ. Darrell Taylor, four-time champion, sets the new record. Uh, he was tied prior to this at three with Veronica. He breaks that. He's now the four-time champion. He is also a four-time finalist, which ties him with Veronica Coral in The Miz for the most all-time at this point in time. And it also, this win in that $125,000 that came with it, vaults him up to first place in the money list with $240,000 to his name in those four seasons. Second place is Mike The Miz at $129,000. So Darrell, at this point in time, has basically made exactly double what anyone else has ever made made in the history of this show. He is the undisputed king of the challenge at this point. Um, and it, it's not, it's not even close. And, you know, retroactively now 37 seasons in plus all the others of stuff. When we're talking about the greatest of all times, we mentioned Darrell's name because of the four by four champion. Um, and maybe, you know, that has waned over the years and these seasons look a little different in comparison to seasons to come. But at this point in time, Darrell is the undisputed king of this show. He has not been beat. He seemingly cannot be beat. The other big historical stat made Wes and Casey five elimination wins on this season, ties them for both the most ever in a single season with Sarah Grayson of the Gauntlet fame, which is still a record that stands today. But also at the time, the five eliminations total, that's the most wins total anyone has at this point in time. And Wes would obviously go on to win a bunch more and be in the running for that record, you know, years down the road. But the five eliminations win was a huge, huge thing, a huge mile marker. And then 
Finally, just to round up some kind of total stats where the show is at in general, again, on the uh, personnel front, 40 after the end of this season, 48 people have now won a challenge championship with Aviv being the 48th member of that club. 82 people have now made a final as of this season and 30 people have felt what it's like to win an elimination round. So that is where your stats stand. That is the history made, the evolutions, the high-level view of when this show happened, what was going on in the world of the show, and the evolutions and history it's made. With that, let's dive a little bit deeper. Let's get into actually talking about some of the biggest storylines and topics from this wonderful season. Storylines of the season, there were so many this season. This season was one of the best ever at the specific thing of there, there's a bunch of storylines, kind of one after the other after the other. There is, it to some degree, there's kind of, you know, overarching full season long arcs, but it does, it's just so well done, not just, you know, from the editing and the storytelling side of it, but that, you know, the cast, just how it breaks down of, you know, this is kind of going on early, this in the middle, this late, and just makes for, a really entertaining and really interesting season where we're kind of focused on one thing at a time for three to four episode runs. We never get too much of one thing before we're into the next big thing that takes over the storyline, and each and every one of them is interesting and entertaining in their own ways. Let's run through them. We will do so uh, more or less chronologically uh, because it just kind of is the easiest way to break them all down. And again, like we said, they really do, these kind of all do Come in order, although I'm going to save the draft till the very end because the draft is, uh, I got I got to talk about the draft process and how how great that was. But if we if we move past that into the fact that they're in the house, they're they're joined in their teams. The first big storyline of the season is Austin versus everybody. That is the from moment one that they're in the house through the first, you know, six episodes or so until they've wiped out basically all of them. It is Austin versus everyone. Real world Austin that obviously just filmed. They come into the house. There's four of them, Wes, Johanna, Danny, Melinda, all from that cast, two couples, both dating, um, which is obvious by the word couples, but I felt like clarifying that they were, in fact, dating as well. And the interesting thing about them is not just that it's four people from the same cast. That's That, that on its own is going to get you a target. In a group of 24, four people, that's a lot of numbers that are going to work together. They're also all rookies, which is the other interesting thing about this group is that it's 12 alumni versus 12 fresh meat, except four of the alumni have never played the challenge before. They're just coming off this incredibly highly rated season of the real world, and the challenge is like, we got to keep them on television, get them in there, and they're all, you know, for the most part, at least the two guys are excited about getting on the show themselves. That makes their team rookie-rookie pairs, which, as always, is never going to be a good thing in a challenge house. And so, of course, targeting them was going to happen. It wouldn't have mattered who they actually were, what their personalities were, how they interacted with everyone, any who their partners would have been, you know, and how much people liked their new partners. None of it mattered. It was four people from the same cast. They were all rookies being called alumni. They were on rookie-rookie teams. And this was going to happen. And then you add in the relationship aspect that it's two couples. You add in that Danny and Wes kind of have big egos when they come into the house. It rubs some people the wrong way right away. They do, you know, episode one, they're all finding the rooms. And they do the whole like, hey, this room has four beds. It seems like they're clean, but 
can we can kick these people out? We would really like to have these four beds, you know, for privacy and intimacy. We find out in the reunion that that wasn't as big of a deal as maybe they made it look in the episode, but it was indicative of the entire problem that the rest of the cast had with these four individuals. So this was a done deal the, from the moment they walked in. They should have known. I think they did know, and if they didn't, they they learned immediately after one daily challenge. They were very clearly like, all right, the rest of the group has decided the easiest thing to do, the smartest thing to do is let's just take out these four teams at the bottom of everyone else's totem pole. The other eight teams are above it. No problems here. And so that's the way it goes, and that leads to Wes and Casey having to take everyone else from the Austin world out West, having to take out his best friend, his fiance or soon to be fiance, his girlfriend at the time, his best friend's fiance. And he does so in order. He starts beats Danny and Evelyn episode one. Uh, shout out to Evelyn on this one for in their exile. The moment Wes and Casey cross the finish line, Danny's like, fuck this. I don't want to finish drops all the weight. Evelyn, does is like, no, we're supposed to finish and goes so far as to pick all the bags up herself and drag them across the finish line. So just, you know, shows the future champion that she is, is obvious in that moment as an 18 year old, uh, being like, Hey, like we finish things like this. And if you don't want to finish, fuck you, I'll carry the 150 pounds of my own and do it. So shout out Evelyn for that. They knock out that, which is, a. You know, after the fact, we can look back on a rewatch and be like, oh, Wes had to go against his real good buddy. You know, there's a history of good friends having to go against each other in eliminations. That's great. But this one, even more in the moment, if you can remember back, you know, their season of the real world, they become very, very close. Danny loses his mother during that season. Wes is there for him. It's very emotional. They're super duper tight. And then obviously the four of them together, the you know two couples that come out of that season, they're unbelievably tight. So this these two going against each other day one in the challenge house was pretty, pretty big deal and pretty crazy and like interesting television to watch in the moment, just and still is, you know, after the fact. Then Wes and Casey have to take out Melinda, Melinda and Ryan, which that becomes the first of two in a row that I've got to say, Melinda and Ryan forget their flag during uh their exile, forgetting the flag. Everyone this season forgets their flag in the exile. It is incredible how much it happens. But one of the many times it does is Melinda and Ryan start off behind Wes and Casey. They get the first puzzle done. At this point in time, Wes and Casey are still on the we don't do puzzles, we just get to the finish line kind of strategy. Melinda and Ryan drop their weight, they're catching up, and then they forget their freaking flag. And I think they there's a good chance they come back and win if they don't forget that flag. And then the third and final one, Wes has to go against his girlfriend, Johanna, and Johanna and Jesse also forget their flags. They take a lead, a big lead on Wes and Casey. They don't even notice Casey have to turn around and run back because Wes and Casey had forgot their flag. They just keep going. They get basically to the end before they realize, shoot, we forgot both of our flags. We got to go back. This is insane. They should have won, which is a huge what if that either one of those, Wes and Casey, could have lost these exiles very, very easily with, you know, the other teams not slipping up or them slipping up more, but it doesn't happen. West takes out Danny, Melinda, and Johanna, all three other Austin teams. And so the kind of Austin versus everyone becomes, you know, an afterthought at that point, but that's six episodes, six out of 16 episodes. That is just, that's all anything is, is just let's decimate this real world. Austin, you know, Tina and Coral are definitely kind of the pseudo leaders of it, but everyone else is on board. Derek, Darrell, Theo, 
uh, you know, all the other Tanya, all the other true alumni are fully on board with like, yeah, this is, this sounds great. And this is deserved. Like you don't get to come in here and be alumni without ever actually being rookies. And so that happens. And since we're on the subject, we might as well just talk a little bit about Wes and Wes and Danny, both Wes and Danny, they both got some things to work on. Let's be honest at this point in time, both guys, uh, you know, I, I, at this point in time, loved them. Real world. Austin was the middle of my kind of trio of Philadelphia, Austin, Key West, the real world seasons. I was just all in on, um, and was, you know, my, the right, the right age for me to just be all in on. So I loved Wes and Danny and Johanna and Melinda and Nehemiah and Rachel and whoever the seventh person is from that cast that I am forgetting, but they definitely had some things to work on in, uh, when they came into the house, Danny and Melinda's relationship is, is very toxic. Uh, on this season, you know, he goes home first and then with shown, you know, she's on the phone with them constantly afterwards. He's asking her, you know, like, why are you wearing this outfit if I'm not there anymore and shit like that? It is, it's not good. Uh, and you know, it wouldn't, I, it would last a little while, a while longer because, uh, they're on a few more seasons together after this, but, uh, it's not great while they're there. It's not great while only one of them's there and we still seeing some of it, a lot to a lot to fix up there from Danny's Danny's side of things, and then we got Wes. Wes, you know, uh, one of the great the great stories in Challenge history. There's been a few characters over the years who we've really seen grown up and mature and change and become these incredible humans. And where we saw, you know, we see the seeds of it early on, but there's a lot of there's a lot of rough edges uh, to to wear down here. You know, a CT, um, you know, maybe a Cara Maria. There's there's been a, a handful of them over the years, and Wes is certainly one of them. And it starts here, and it starts with you know he and Johanna. It uh, if you haven't watched the season of the Real World and you just see them on the, if you're just a challenge fan at this point, you watch this, you're like, what? How are these two together exactly? Like what? What exactly is she interested in on this side? Because he's kind of being a dick, and it it just doesn't seem to make a total ton of sense. Um, he, you know, has some bad moments yelling at her from time or two. Uh, it should be said in his defense, you know, the little clip that they now like show all the time where they show a bunch at the reunion and things where he's just kind of yelling at her after one of the daily challenge. It seems really, really bad. The context of it isn't all that bad. Like he should not yell and you should not call your girlfriend a bitch. Or it seems like he kind of stops after saying, saying the letter S where it seems like he might be about to call her a slut or something of that nature, which is a huge no, no, you know, even more so on television, if that should even matter. Um, but it is, should at least be said in the smallest defense of Wes of his issues, uh, in the times he and Johanna have big arguments on this show or basically cut boil down to, Hey, why aren't you trying? Like, why don't you care about this game more? It's not actually anything between them. It's like, hey, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Why aren't you fighting for yourself more? And obviously, it's not handled well at all. But it does. It makes a little bit of a difference to me the context of like what what they're arguing about and everything. So it makes sense that you know, one, she stands up for herself, really, really great. She stands up for Casey, which is really great. We'll talk about Casey and Wes in a moment. And he does. He does listen to he listens to her every time she says it. He does seemingly take it to heart. He apologizes. The apologies seem a little half-hearted here and there, but he does at least like say sorry a couple different times and acknowledge that she's right, even if that doesn't totally change his actions, which it doesn't. But 
you know, thankfully we know we're watching this, you know, uh, 16 years later, we know where Wes has come from this moment and it's all wonderful and great. And so we can see the good in him while acknowledging that it's not the best look for him in his relationship this season and certainly not in his partnership because he uh, is not so nice to Casey all season. Casey, what a wonderful, just just an absolutely treasure of a human being. Couldn't be more nice and innocent in this season. And yet Wes is over here just you know, yelling at her every chance he gets to do better. And again, it does come back to the context of it. Over the course of the season, you realize that, yeah, Wes is being a dick. He's being a little bit of an asshole, and it's not pretty. It's not a good look. But it is all coming from, like, damn, this guy is super fucking competitive. He really, really, really wants to, like, win this stuff. Like, this is what matters to him. Maybe it should matter a little less. Or maybe, you know, being, you know, proving himself athletically is something, you know, that young Wes had to learn there's more to life than just that and whatnot as plenty of the young the people on the show. And I shouldn't even say young people, plenty of the people on the show at this day and time. And still today, they used to all be super young. Some of them are still super young today, but all of them have to learn. But I did have interesting rewatching it. There were more moments of him being nice than I kind of remember, like more moments of him laying off or at least saying like, you know, there was one time he says, you know, I was the weak link today. He kind of laughs the one time near the end of the season where she beats him in one of the daily challenges in one of the rounds and says, I beat you, bitch. And he just kind of laughs He's like, ah, damn it, you did, you did. Um, but there's only a, there's, there's a few more of those than I remembered, which is to say there's a few of them, which I didn't really remember there being any. But they don't make up at all for all of the yelling, the name calling, the degrading. Uh, it, is, it is bad. It's a real bad look. And it's the first I can really remember of an elongated version of it in the show's history up to this point where, you know, they're partners. And so this is a reoccurring thing. Every daily challenge, every elimination, which they go into five of them. So it's over and over and over and over. We have to see this. And, you know, the, he gets a little better throughout the season. He may, he definitely, after Johanna kind of gets on him for like, hey, like you can't, like you can't call her these words. You can't speak this way to her. He continues to yell at her, but he he cuts back on uh, pretty much in total on the 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 name calling and you know using the word bitch and things of that nature. So that there's there's mild improvement within some really bad stuff and a bad look the whole time. To be absolutely fair, from Casey's standpoint, one she handles it like a goddamn champion. That's the first and foremost thing. Uh, absolutely incredible how she handles it and you know stands up for herself multiple times one of my favorite moments of the season uh is a very it's small i believe it's actually in the it's a credit sequence which as always bring back the credit sequence but after they win the elimination the third exile versus johanna and jesse the credits show tj <laughs> leaning up against a truck with wes and and Casey's standing there, I assume, waiting for the van that's going to take them back to the house. And Casey's just laying into Wes, and Wes is, you know, totally taking it. TJ is just laughing about it because he knows she absolutely deserves to say whatever the hell she wants to him. She stands up for herself a few times, um, but also she does DQ a bunch. <laughs> so, you know, uh, should Wes be way fucking nicer about all of it? Yes. Uh, is he a horrible teammate? Yes. But does Casey DQ a lot, and uh, does she not do so well at a lot of the daily challenges? Yeah, that's also also true as well. But she does do she she really does well in the exiles, which is the kind of underrated thing. Is you know just because she can't carry that much weight during it, 
Very few of the people, male or female, on the season can do that part of it, but she she absolutely kicks ass in the exiles, not so much the dailies. I do feel like there's a little bit of, you know, she's brand new to reality television as well as this show, and I feel like she kind of bought in a bit to the, you know, I suck, everyone knows I suck, that's my storyline is I suck. And while there's moments of that where she turns into really funny uh, quotes, which she's gonna be nominated for, for quote of the year later on, but I do, I wonder if looking back, if she feels like, you know, I kind of let that become the thing I was known for and I went with it because I didn't really know, you know, I don't know how this works and, you know, it's partially the edit that it gets and whatnot. But that's Wes and Casey, that's Austin versus everyone. That was definitely storyline number one of the season that dominated the first six episodes. And then the Wes and Casey thing was one of the only ones that really lasted throughout the entirety of the season from episode one to episode 16, the entire way through. The next storyline that then took over and really ran subsequent to the Austin versus everyone, the reason Austin never had a chance to get themselves out of the predicament is because they could never win a daily challenge because Evan and Coral were too busy winning every goddamn one of them. And so... This ends up going about 11 episodes deep before it's eventually over, but it is, you know, the other dominant storyline of the early and middle part of the season, and that is Coral and Evan absolutely kick everyone's ass, and they're absolutely far and away the best team in the house on this season, one of the best, most formidable pairings we've seen in the history of the challenge. They win five of the first six daily challenges, five out of six daily challenges, and should be noted, the sixth one, the one they do not win, they purposely don't win. They go into saying, we don't want to win anymore. They've realized the format of it being that, you know, every other daily challenge is the one that really, truly matters to get you safety and to get the power of picking someone to go in. The second daily challenge in every rotation is just to win a pardon to get yourself out of elimination, but the team that already won is safe. And so when one of those rolls around, the jailbird one, they act a fool. They just have a bunch of fun with it. It is comical. It is hilarious. It is wonderful. They're still the best part of the daily challenge, but they don't win it. So really... They honestly could have went six for six. They went five for six and threw the one that they didn't win. And at that point, after they are five out of six, that is when Evan reveals to us at home and the camera and the production and no one else that he has a sports hernia, which is a major injury. That is a rupture of, of you know, a tendon in your stomach groin region it is not something you fuck around with. That is a major injury. It is surgery required to repair and remove. It is life-threatening if, you know, there's internal bleeding with this and if it ruptures to the point of like full-blown explosion, uh it, it it can kill you. People have died from a sports hernia gone, you know, gone wrong and not tended to in the right amount of time. So this is not just the first like major injury in challenge history and eventually the first injury to get someone sent home, but like this is one of the most serious injuries everyone's ever had in challenge history, even you know, a decade and a half later. It is insane, and it's more insane that he keeps competing. That one, they let him keep competing. This the first thing we got to talk about on this is the medical situation on this season. This is it's this very interesting dichotomy of and I want to say I want to say this as politely as possible. You know, 
Uh, some of the, some of the seasons of the challenge, the medical staffing is a little bit better or the medical access, I should say is much better than other ones. Obviously, you know, this season they're near major cities in Australia, a a country where they speak English. And so if anyone gets super hurt, like they do and Coral and Evan end up in the hospital, they're at a hospital of a major city that's nearby quick, easy access. And they speak the same language. There's no language barrier to be able to understand the risks and what's going on with their bodies. That's a lot different than, you know, like when they're in the middle of a desert somewhere and it's like, we've got our medical team here on site, but if you got to go to a hospital, we got, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna take a minute to get there. And you know, uh, it might, it's still a pretty remote hospital, maybe not the best resources involved, you know? And so he's in a great, a great situation that this happens on this season where he can get quick, easy, top-notch medical service that he can understand without any language barrier or anything like that. But he just blows it off, and the the flip side of that is how does the the production clearly doesn't have rules in place quite yet because they obviously know they're the ones that you know get him to the hospital. They know he now has a hernia and that he's been told by the doctor, hey, like you shouldn't be doing anything physical. We should fix this. And he says, nah, I'm good. Uh, I would like to keep competing until I like die on the field, essentially, he says multiple times over. Wild that they let him continue as long as he did because after his hernia is revealed, they do four more daily challenges and they don't just do them. They still do really well. Uh, they do the cross paths daily challenge where they have to hang upside down from a rope over water, which thankfully they, they somehow they get across and they don't fall because falling into water at that height with a hernia, not good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they get second in that one. They still get second by like half a second to Theo and Shonda. So they still almost win one in, one into the, have an injury deflated kayak daily challenge. They get third in. Swimming with sharks is where things start to fall off. They don't finish, but only three teams do, so not finishing isn't a huge deal. It's actually Coral that's kind of holding them back there. Evan flies through the water and is again. Another, like, what are you doing, dude? And then the one where it comes to a screeching halt and the one that is terrifying to watch uh, over and over, and that is Human Oxpole, where they have to, as two teams of whatever, however many is left, like six or seven at that point, pull 850 pounds sled through the mud and Evan is out there pulling as hard as he possibly can, which is literally the worst possible thing you could do. If the, if the doctor said, you're not allowed to do anything physical and he's like, okay, but I have to do something. What could I do? What's like the range of good to bad physical things. If they're all bad, I get it. The rain, the end of the range, the extreme of like the absolutely don't do this or you're going to probably die is pulling a weighted sled through mud is a horrible idea. He's going as hard as anyone in this thing. I can't believe he doesn't, you know, fall over in, you know, unbelievable pain in the middle of that mud and everyone doesn't find out then and there what's going on. Somehow during it, he, even in the pain he's in, Coral ends up popping her knee out of place. So then she has to go to the hospital, which then he can bum the ride and say, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to support my teammate. He finally kind of comes clean to her after they both come out of the hospital. He finally tells her, I mean, he went four, four challenges, which, you know, is probably in real time, like seven or eight days minimum, maybe more (laughs) without telling his partner or anyone in the cast that he has a sports hernia and that he's still trying to compete insanity. Uh, and Coral, you know, her knee gets popped back in. She is okay to go for the most part, but then they're finally told that they have to go home, which 
is a big deal. It's the first time it's ever happened. TJ literally doesn't know how to tell them. He feels horrible about telling them. They kind of refuse. Justin Booth has to come in as the executive producer, In comes into the field and like tells them, like, you are not allowed to continue. I am sorry, but we are not going to let you, Evan. This is insane. You cannot do this. You're going to go get surgery. And thank God they did because it feels like he wasn't, he was just going to keep trying. And, uh, you know, the next couple times they have to jump down into water. Um, God forbid they make it to the final challenge or go into an exile where he's trying to run with hundreds of pounds on his back. Just really, really wild, really, really fortunate that it never got worse than it did, which is saying something because it got to a life threatening, horrifically, you know, blown sports hernia, which it's just wild. And the craziest thing about all of it is that not just that it happens, but that it happens to these two and that it happens to these two who are dominating the season, not just dominating. They were going to win this season. Make no bones about it. Yet, if I them in a final versus Darrell and Aviv, it totally would have just come down to the puzzle and who had to carry how much weight. But the idea of Evan not being able to carry their, their weight pretty much all by himself and Coral's run that distance in the final four they would have been the favorites to win for sure. Um, you know, Darrell and Aviv definitely still could have pulled that out. I because if Coral maybe could have nailed those puzzles, maybe her and Evan could have won. Either way, they're undeniably were the best team this season up until the point that they got hurt by a lot, by a wide, wide margin. They were also the stars of the show. They were, you know, non-Austin division. Uh, the entire story was about them, and they were both they were a perfect match for each other. They were both so good in the confessionals. They were having a great time with the winning. They were having fun with their power. And they, they were the stars of the show for sure. We'll talk later. You know, they were the gone too soon MVP candidates that if they made it to the end of the season, they were early front runners for MVP candidacy. And they work so well together. We see on the reunion, maybe they started hooking up a little too. They're very coy about it on the reunion, um, but they're shown in bed moving around a little bit together. So seems like at least a little bit of something happened. And all in all, it goes down as one of the greatest seasons ever by a pair, maybe the greatest ever, you know, non-winner, non-finalist division of people that didn't make a final. Probably the greatest season of all time. Um, it just really is insane to think they won five out of six of the dailies with a very good competitive cast pre-injury, still got second and third post-injury. And, you know, had to physically be told you were not allowed, like, we are not going to let you, no matter how much you fight us, not going to let you. They end up going home. And that opens a big old power vacuum in the middle of the season, and someone's got to fill it. And that leads us to our next storyline. DM and Derek. The angel that is DM Brown. May she rest in peace. She enters our lives in this season and as she does, we come to learn of her cancer diagnosis and a little bit of her background and what an absolute just champion and wonderful person she is. And it really, you know, this season, it her and Derek take over that power vacuum left by Coral and Evan in a big way. And as they do, uh, their connection, their, uh, their romance, as it would tend to be, and their friendship comes center stage and her, you know, backstory and her cancer diagnosis and uh, the fight she's going through off of the screen comes center stage for sure. We find out about this in, I believe, the second episode. The two of them go for a walk, 
she, you know, Derek asked her, what are you, what are you most scared of? And in his mind, he's thinking, you know, I'm trying to slowly, you know, we did a, we did a, you know, super heights challenge for the first one. I've been on a few of these. I'm trying, probably poking around, trying to find out, you know, like, Hey, what freaks you out? What should we, we get ready for to be able to be good partners and support each other? You know, do you not want to eat gross stuff? Do you not want to, you know, if we have to like wrestle each other, you're not like that, or you don't like being in the water or what, what are you, what are you scared of? And she drops on him. Well, the thing that kind of frightens me is this, this battle, this real life battle I'm going through and that just started right before the show that she said she literally, you know, was in treatment up until the day before she came on the show. And it's this kind of, it's this very emotional, you know, interaction between them and conversation. We learn about it as, you know, the viewers of the show and we find out throughout the season um, and after the season in the reunion, especially that Derek was the first person on the show to know of anyone, not just the cast, producers, anyone, which is wild. Uh, Aviv became the second one to know. Uh, DM and Aviv became very good friends on the season with Lynette too, but then DM, you know, kind of fucked over Lynette that one time in the middle um, and so broke up their little trio, but DM and Aviv, we find out on the reunion, you know, Derek and Aviv were the only two that knew for most of the season and then everyone slowly started finding out in the middle of the season up to when Tina and DM have a huge blow up when Tina near the end of the season, Dia, or, uh, Tina and Kenny win the one of the last daily challenges. They choose to send in Derek in DM. DM flips out about it, is real upset about it. Tina says some really not great things. Uh, you get in a war of the world, a war of the words with Tina. She's gonna bite back and she's gonna throw some shit out there, and uh, she does in this instance. And it's not, it's not a great look. Nothing cancer related, but um, just some stuff. Probably shouldn't have said that. She then feels bad about because we find out on the reunion they ask her point blank, like, "Do you did you know what DM was going through off of the show and why you know th- decisions in the game maybe affected her or she was a little more on edge than others?" And Wes, among others, comes to Tina's defense of like. We Tina had no idea the moment after that they get in the van uh, separate from Derek and DM and Darrell and Aviv who are, you know, going to or no, they were just in a different car than them, I believe. But they tell Tina uh, like, hey, just so you know, like this is uh, this DM has this going on. And Tina says, you know, I felt horrible about it in the moment. So the rest of the cast doesn't know. And the crazy thing is, how did the producers not know in advance. Like I know we're still in the early-ish days of this show, but not really. We're on season number 12. And the fact that someone could be doing chemotherapy treatments up until the day before they come to the show, and you have no idea, you're not, you know, maybe I'm sure there had to be some sort of like medical questionnaire or something. And maybe DM was just like, I'm not telling them. I'm just not not putting anything on there. And it's, you know, it's all what I say. It's not them actually pulling any sort of real records or anything like that. Maybe that's the case, but it's pretty insane that they don't know and that it took until, you know, obviously when she starts talking about it and they're actively filming her talking about it, they then know at that point. But it's really scary uh, to think that, you know, as Aviv says in the reunion, it's pretty, it's really brave and bold of DM to have been like, they, no one needs to know, you know, if something, something bad happens. We'll figure it out when it happens. But, uh, otherwise I don't want anyone to know. I don't want it to be a story. I don't want people to think of me differently because of it. I just want to go forget about it and challenge myself in this other way. It's inspiring. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's also really, really scary. Um, so the rest of the cast eventually learns 
and Derek and DM, they really fill that power vacuum when the, when uh excuse me, when Evan and Coral end up getting sent home. Derek and DM go on to win three straight daily challenges, fully seize power of the game. And along the way of winning those three daily challenges, they they find a way to kind of screw over both of their trios of friends. What they each convince the other person to do it to the other person's friends. First, DM, you know, against Derek's best wishes, is like, we got to throw in Theo and Shonda. They're, you know, really, really good. And we got to get them out of here. And Derek's like, you know, Theo, me, and Darrell kind of have a little pact going, but I hear you. You're making sense. And also, I'm kind of digging you. And so I'm not going to, you know, push back. But he allows that to happen. The very next time, then Derek's like, we got to get Shane and Lynette. De- reversal of roles. DM is like, Lynette and Aviva, my girls, but I guess we'll just do it. Then she feels horrible. So they become center of all the attention of the whole season of like, they're in power, they're winning stuff. Her story is the, you know, the heartbeat, the story of the season at this point in time for kind of the second, third, uh, kind of third quarter of the season, if you will. And they're also kind of betraying their friends a little bit. They're they're take they're taking the game real serious. They're playing strategy, and they set themselves up as the team to beat. And as all that is happening, romance ensues, you know, which Makes total sense. Uh, how could these two not fall for each other in the situation that they're in? Um, it is just absolutely tailor-made for this to have happened. Obviously, DM is a truly, truly special, wonderful human being. She's beautiful inside and out. She's going through this horrible situation and taking it on with this brave face and this incredible attitude about it. And if you're her partner and you're someone who is attracted to women in the first place, how would you not do every the same thing that exactly what happens to Derek here being like, oh my God, like, uh, like I can't believe this person's my partner, how incredible of a human she is. And now like, I don't care about winning this money for me. I want to win. Like I, this is such a life changing, life saving possibly thing for her. Um, you know, how do you not get wrapped up and invested in that? Ended up falling for this girl makes total sense. And on the flip side, DM being like, this guy's fighting for me with everything he's got. He has such a good heart. He's such a tough, like never get up, give up attitude. He is completely, you know, giving me everything I need in this moment as support and as, you know, fighting alongside me as a teammate makes total sense that these two end up, you know, getting romantic you throw in that they continually go to, I forget the name of, they they go to the same kind of bar restaurant uh, every single, every single couple days, it seems like um, on this season. And, you know, definitely a couple of those moments that there's some drinks had, at least on Derek's, Derek's side. Uh, he still lo- loves the party atmosphere in the challenge house at this point, but romance ensues. They're both sweet, lovable. It's really nice to watch. It's really it's really, really great stuff. It's one of the of the many, 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 many challenge relationships that happen over the years. This one is, um, you know, it's forgotten a little bit because we're one season away from, you know, DM and CT's love story unfolding. But uh, DM and Derek is one of the just most sweet and like enjoyable and, you know, high that I couldn't approve of more of just like, this is really wonderful. This is like really feels good to watch. After the season, we find out via the reunion, they're both on the reunion, you know, DM, they're asked, of course, what's going on. 
DM says, you know, they're great friends. They will always be great friends. They're always going to mean a lot to each other for what they meant to each other during the season. Derek basically doesn't speak. Uh, he's he's asked direct questions multiple times in the reunion. He kind of never responds to any of them. Um, he, along with potentially a lot of the guys on the reunion, uh, the, I'm looking at you, Theo and Evan, especially and Kenny a little bit, but mostly Evan and Derek maybe, uh, had some drinks before the reunion, at least it comes off that way. But it also in this moment, Derek doesn't really respond to like, what's up with you and DM anymore. He lets her do all the talking and he does seem a little sad about it. Um, it seems like maybe, you know, if you're reading between the lines off this, you know, totally unfairly reading between these short interactions of edited reunion television we're watching, it seems like maybe DM after the fact was like, uh, you know, I love you as a friend and this, it's not going to be more than that. And Derek was maybe a little more heartbroken or sad about that, but that's just me speculating either way. They did not make it, but they, you know, remained close, good friends. Uh, there was no, no ill will there at any point. Final thing with them is they eventually do lose, but they have maybe the most bold <laughs> exile strategy of anyone. Uh, by the time they end up in exile, the last of the season, the dreaded last team eliminated, which should be said, it kind of comes, while it helps them initially that Evan and Coral get sent home and opens that power vacuum for them to fill, it does eventually kind of hurt them because they don't change the format during it. TJ announces when they go home, hey, we're still doing the same amount of dailies and exiles, so instead of four teams in the final challenge, only three are going to make it. If there's four, Derek and DM maybe make it. Maybe not because, you know, obviously uh, Coral and Evan would have still been there. Who knows? But they get in the last uh, uh, exile, and they decide they have more weight than maybe anyone's had except for Tanya in the exile to carry. They decide right from moment one, hey, we've heard from other people that the puzzles, more often than not, if you do them, the advantage is you get to drop your bags. So screw it. Drop the bags from moment one. Let's just run without them. And if we don't get one of those, you can drop your bags, then we lose. And <laughs> bold strategy, I actually really, really like it, both because I think they knew they were a little bit of underdogs versus Darrell and Aviv, and they, you know, they knew they had heard from everyone else who had, who had been pretty open by that point. You know, I think there was three of the six exiles. So three of the five at that point had featured a clue that said you can drop your all of your weight. They get to the first puzzle. They get the puzzle right. And the, it says you can drop one of your two bags, which what a heartbreaking moment. Um, they probably lose anyways because Darrell and Aviv absolutely smoke this uh, this elimination, which just is you know more to come in the final challenge itself. But maybe not because uh, if they if they could have that second puzzle tripped them up in a big way. But if that first puzzle would have been, you get to drop all your bags the same as it had been three times prior. There's a world where they win it. So I respect I respect the strategy, but they bow out the last team to go before the final. But Derek and DM. And really, DM's battle with cancer coming to the forefront would become, you know, a major one of the biggest storylines in the history of the challenge over multiple seasons. And again, you know, may she rest in peace, an absolute angel looking over all of us in the challenge world. 
And uh, hats off to her at, at how quickly she turned this into such a positive thing for so many other people on the reunion. You know, she debuts her website, which was an incredible idea. Um, I don't know if it's still running um, or not, or I know there's different foundations with her you know, name attached to it at this point, but the original one that she rolls out immediately after this season, I forget the exact name of it, but it was a registry of sorts where you could go on and you could, you know, find a, you know, DM is going through chemo and needs this, 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 and this, and, you know, from things as small as needs wigs purchased to needs treatments paid for to needs this medication, whatever it was kind of, she alluded to said it was, you know, a wedding registry for cancer patients of things that they needed help with financially covering from big to small, incredible idea helped out a ton of people and her memory and her story still inspires a lot of people today. And it all starts with this season. Final storyline then to talk about is the draft. Uh, just the draft concept and the idea of holding a combine for the fresh meat and then getting to draft the teams. I love it so much. I hope I want them to do something like this again. It doesn't have to be with fresh meat. I'd love to see a draft with it when everyone knows everyone has done seasons together. And it works out well, so well because it makes it somehow does make for some really fair teams, although at the very end, it doesn't feel like it throughout the time, but by the end, it does. You can realize Darrell and Aviv maybe was a little bit of an unfair team. Uh, there was only two, but looking at the draft order, uh, first off, the combine that they have to do is hilarious. We only get the short montage of it, but uh, is incredible that they make these people do a combine, but also like what else, you know? They have to give them something other than just, here's some people on a stage. Go ahead and pick, you know, that's that. So makes total sense. But in retrospect, the the draft process, all of the picks make perfect sense except for two. And there's only two that don't. And they could have really, really changed, uh, possibly changed the game and the outcome of the game, but as well as, you know, careers of different challenge folks. The big one being, Evelyn as the very first pick. So Danny gets the first pick. He's obviously picking a female. He picks Evelyn, number one off the board. Now, in retrospect, that makes total sense because we're like, yeah, it's Evelyn. Are you kidding me? But in the moment, these are all 12 brand new people sitting in front of them, and all they know is they know their age. They know how fast they ran a 40-yard dash, how fast they climbed over a couple walls, how fast they solved a logic puzzle, and how many out of five attempts they did some hand-eye coordination that I'm not sure what actually was um, when almost none of them could do any of. So they don't know a whole lot, but they know a little. And if you're just going off that, Aviv should have been the first pick. Like if Danny was real smart about it and actually really weighed stuff, we learned from Darrell in the reunion when he he's asked, why did you pick Aviv? He says, when I walked in that room, Aviv and Evelyn were the only two there kind of leaning forward. They were geared up. You could tell like they were ready. They weren't scared. They were there. They wanted to compete. And those two stood out to him from the moment they walked in the room before they even saw any stats or anything like that. So that part makes some sense. But Aviv had in the logic puzzle that they had to do, got it in three seconds, which is insane. Uh, I don't know what it was, but figuring whatever it was out in three seconds is crazy. Evelyn, one minute, 41 seconds, which wasn't bad. There's only a few people who did it under a minute. There's a bunch of people in the one, two, and three minute range. And then the couple people, the, you know, Big Easy at 11 minutes, Shonda at 12 minutes, Ryan, 22 minutes. Not sure what happened to Ryan on that puzzle. Um, 
But basically, the, the hand-eye, the up and over, the 40-yard dash, all the same. Aviv having the logic thing, being far and away the best one at it. Feels like she should have maybe been the first pick. Um, and for the other fact that the age would, to me, would have mattered, she's 21, Evelyn's 18. I would have went with that slightly older, maybe, you know, a little bit more prepared to handle what a challenge house had in store. But uh, Danny goes the other way, and that ends up leading, you know, Darrell and Aviv. Darrell gets the second, the third overall pick, but the second female pick takes Aviv. They obviously go on to win. Who knows if that's Darrell and Evelyn. Instead, you know, does, do they still win? Does that mean Evelyn becomes an immediate challenge champion, even boosting her great resume even more? Who knows? Um, just is a very interesting thing. And then the second one that doesn't make sense and the one that really could have affected the game, and that is Wes. Wes chooses Casey. And Wes chooses Casey when there is still one, two more men to make choices. So when he's up, he is picking between Casey, DM, and Lynette. And if I don't know why he doesn't take Lynette. Uh, and I feel like if he takes Lynette, respect to Casey, but I think Wes and Lynette win because Lynette proves herself to be quite good throughout this. Um, she is, you know, she's a very petite woman, as many of them are on this season, but that doesn't seem, it doesn't end up mattering. That's an advantage, if anything, uh, throughout this course of this season and certainly in the Exiles in the final. Um, I, I wonder for a little bit, because Wes immediately goes to, you know, he asks Casey, there's kind of the joke of like, Casey, what happened with those walls? Because everyone got in the, over the walls in under a minute, except for Casey, who took nine minutes and we maybe didn't actually even finish. They show the video of her multiple times just running into the wall, running into the wall, running into the wall. Um, but then Wes is like, what happened there? Yeah, I'll take you anyways. But Lynette on the one got over the walls. Uh, they ran basically the same time and had the same hand-eye coordination. And in the logic side of things, Casey took nine minutes to Lynette's 15 seconds. Lynette was the second best of uh, basically anyone um, on the logic puzzle. And how West looked at that and decided Casey over her, I'm not exactly sure. Part of me thinks it's because she looks a little bit like Johanna. And maybe he's like, I don't want my girlfriend to think like I have a partner now who is very pretty and kind of looks like her. Um, maybe that plays a part in it. I don't know. Um, but if he picks Lynette, I feel like they might win. Um, they're still going to get targeted. They're still going to win those first three. You know, they're going to perform the same or even a touch better than they do, uh, than he and Casey do. They're going to still win those. I think they still win all five, even if they end up in all five of the eliminations, exiles, excuse me. Um, and I think they maybe just, they have a, they have a better shot of winning some dailies, uh, cause Lynette does win a couple dailies with Shane and does really, really well. And I think it could have changed the season completely. Everything else though, the draft order in the moment made sense. Retroactively makes sense. You know, Coral the second, she takes Evan, definitely the best choice on the guy's side. Darrell takes Aviv, Tanya takes Johnny, shout out Johnny. Why they never brought Johnny back. Absolute stud. Um, crushed it. Theo takes Shonda, another absolute stud. Why she never came back, don't know. Tina takes Kenny. Then the West Casey one, as we said, the only one that's kind of a little odd. And then Johanna takes Jesse over Big Easy or Ryan. Total toss-up, uh, you know, retroactively, maybe we, those go in a different order, but totally fine in the moment. Derek takes DM. Katie takes Easy. Melinda takes Big Easy. Shane takes Lynette, gets the steal of the draft with the last pick. But for the most part, it makes sense. Again, I will say, do the draft again. 
it is it's so great and I know it's great because it works out in this one. It leads to these amazing pairings, you know, as, as ugly at times as it was to watch Wes and Casey. They were an unbelievable pairing for television purposes. Tina and Kenny couldn't have been a more perfect pairing. They're going to be talked about a lot during the awards segment coming up. They're, they're just so great this whole season together. Evan and Coral, what a great team. They make perfect sense together. Big Easy and Katie is just great television together. Um, Theo and Shonda. Downline, Darrell and Aviv. Aviv is like the perfect partner for Darrell to have. It just it worked out really, really well. Who knows if it would work out again in the future? But I like the idea of having to do the draft and not just you know we've seen a couple times you know the one challenge where here's the two captains and pick you know we're gonna split up into two teams. You pick your team. I want to see drafting for partners again sometime in the future. But with that, that's our biggest storylines of the season. Um, you know, dominated by Austin versus everyone into what are into Coral and Evan into Derek and DM and DM's cancer revelation and, you know, Wes and Casey through the whole season. That was really everything. But in the background, there was a couple other people making a lot of noise and making a lot of impact and a lot of value. And we're going to finally get to talking about some of them via our awards. So let's get the statues out. Let's get them cleaned up, looking nice. And let's hand out some hardware. First award up is the best daily challenge of the season and some quick commentary on the daily challenges as a whole since we haven't touched on them uh, during any of the storylines there. Some of the best we've ever seen. Um, Absolutely great slate. I would argue one of the very few things I don't rank as I'm rewatching all these seasons is, you know, I, I rate every single daily challenge. I don't do an average or a season long rating for them or anything like that. But as far as just looking at the the, num- the letter grades for this set of daily challenges, it's about as good or better than any season that has come before it. It does suffer slightly from the fact that they have the exile immediately after the daily challenge for half of them, which turns it into, you know, that you could tell they don't want to make every other one very taxing. Um, and that's fair because uh, it obviously is the only way to then, you know, make the make the exiles kind of a fair fight and people be able to do them super well, but it does hurt the quality of some of the dailies or what they're willing to do. And the ones that are on the non exile days are certainly like bigger and better and inch more interesting, uh, for the most part. Um, but some of the ones that aren't that taxing do work out really, really well. And, uh, Overall, again, they're some of the best daily challenges we've ever seen. Let's talk about the four that get nominated for the best of the season in chronological order. Episode four's jailbreak, which is where they have to, they start with their feet shackled, their hands tied behind their back in a little jail cell in the middle of the field. And they have six bowls of jail slop in front of them that they have to dig through with their mouths only and find three keys and spit those keys out on the ground and then use them to unhook their hands and the door of the jail before running the 50 yards across the field to end their time. It is hilarious. It has the eating element, um, but they don't actually have to eat. They just have to dig around in this gross slop stuff. Everyone, surprisingly, no one like trips and falls during the running with their feet shackled, which uh, thank goodness for them. This is the one that Coral and Evan purposely throw because it doesn't matter and they don't want to win every single one, but they do some funny stuff while throwing it. There's just a lot of comedy ensues. The commentary during it is great. It's a very close race in the end, and it's the first one that someone not named Coral and Evan win. So it's very good. Then there's episode nine, 
probably the one I remember the most or remembered the most top of mind coming in. I was like, oh yeah, this season has that one. I can't wait to watch it. That would be Swimming with Sharks, where they go to the Australia's SeaWorld, and there is a shark lagoon that they have gotten access to be able to swim inside of, inside of a lagoon full of sharks. Some, you know, clearly this was passed as totally safe. The sharks were going to totally leave them alone, but there is a lot of small-ish, but is any shark small? It's still a shark. Um, a bunch of sharks in a big old lagoon, and they have to swim out in it one, you know, one team at a time, swim out, dive down to the bottom of the lagoon, and get, I think there's about eight puzzle pieces strewn throughout the bottom of the lagoon, bring them back. One at a time, they take turns swimming out, get a piece, bring it back. When they're done, they put together the puzzle. Only uh, about half the teams actually get it done in time. There's a 10-minute time limit. And one of the coolest parts about it is, one, they're just swimming with sharks. It's absolutely insane, and it's fun and cool. Uh, It's a very close race in the end. It's competitive. That always helps. But then the coolest part is... The first team that goes, Wes and Casey, no one gets to watch because it would be unfair to kind of know where the puzzle pieces are at the bottom of the lagoon. But as teams finish, they get to go down to where regularly people, guests of the park, would be viewing from underneath where you got the big wall where you can see into the tank in front of you and see the bottom of it and see the sharks and everything swim by. They get to all watch the other teams go from in there, which is the coolest setting for anyone ever getting to watch the other competitors go in a daily challenge that I can ever remember seeing. So swimming with sharks, pretty wild, pretty crazy, pretty amazing daily challenge. Third nominee then episode 10 human ox pull. We talked briefly about this before where they split into two teams. They have to pull 850 pound sled through the mud. The winning team of that then splits into their actual pairs and does a 350 pound pull as pairs to uh, decide the actual winner. Uh, It is the first and kind of only one where brute strength is what wins the day. That would become a little bit more of a common theme in challenge in years to come. It is super duper close. It's obviously fascinating and interesting and horrifying because this is the one where Evan and Coral finally uh, bow out and end up in the hospital and get their shit started to take care of. Uh, But all in all, it's a very interesting, entertaining, close race. Darrell and Aviv, it's the first time they win anything of any sort and kind of put their stamp as like, uh, we, you know, no one's really been paying attention to us, but we might be one of, if not the best team here. Fourth and final nominee, which is also the winner of the best daily challenge of the season. That would be episode 13's Deep Dive. Holy shit, this one is insane. Um, This one is where they, TJ has a boat. TJ likes his boats. This is, I think, the first time he gets a boat in his challenge career. They go out four miles out to sea. (laughs) Four miles out. They go way out, like way out into the middle of the freaking ocean. And they have a rig set up that is going to take each team one at a time that is going to pull them 30 feet under the water all straight down to where a flag is at. They then have to hold on till they get to the bottom of this 30 feet, which is really far underwater in the ocean, um, both just kind of scary, but also the pressure of your head and on your body going that deep is it's a lot. 30 feet, 30 feet a, a pretty big, good distance. And then when they get the flag, it is a holding your breath contest. You can swim up to the top, but you can't surface. Once you surface, your time stops. Of the five teams left at this point, only somehow only one DQs. Tina and Kenny are the only one. They have to go first, and they're the only ones that like halfway down. They're like, this pressure is insane. Tina go, going into it is a little sick, and so I think the pressure is even worse. And they're like, fuck this, we're not doing it. They bow out. 
The other four teams all do it. It comes down to a half-second victory for Derek and DM over Theo and Shonda, which ends up leading to Theo and Shonda going home after that one. And they, at the time, maybe post Coral and Evan, Theo and Shonda were kind of looking like the best team, although we then found out neither of them can solve a puzzle to save their lives, which was their detriment in the end. But athletically, they were the superior team for sure. Um, but it's wild. They go you know, four miles out to sea, 30 feet down. Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I don't know if this would be happening again on the challenge now. And if it did, I think there'd be a lot more safety concerns going on and there was actually there's a moment the credits uh scene of this episode that this takes place in shows them all hanging out on the boat and the production crew is you know either getting the cameras ready or testing the equipment or doing something they're all sitting there and then out of nowhere they're like did someone just throw up and they like go over and Wes knows whatever the producer's name is or whatever. It's like, tell me it was so-and-so. Tell me it was so-and-so. I bet it was. And then they're all like laughing and like, dude, the production team's out here coming up gasping for air, throwing up. Like, I wouldn't be very excited about what you're about to be told to have to do. But either way, Deep Dive Episode 13 is the best daily challenge of the season. To the other sporting event then, the elimination and the best of the best of this season. Now, Quick commentary on the eliminations, a.k.a. the exiles. Obviously, all the exiles are basically the same. They have three courses, the beach, the forest, the cliffside course. The only single thing that changes is the puzzles are slightly different every single time so that if the same people are doing them, it's a little bit different of puzzle combinations, but some of those are kept. If it's not the same people doing it, then they you know reuse puzzles. The only thing I really noticed different is, is the very first exile, it doesn't seem like they have the flags or maybe we just don't hear about having to take the flags with them, but everyone after that does and the flags become the crucial part of every exile. Is, are they going to remember the flags? TJ says over and over, every single time, at least twice says, you have to bring your flags with you and then every single time, at least one, if not both teams, forget. I like the exile concept. I like making it the same thing. Um, and independently in a vacuum, I really, really enjoy the exiles. I think they're fun, interesting, a good kind of barometer of how are these teams then going to be able to do in the final. It's very fun. You know, when Wes and Casey win the first three and they're like, we're not going to tell you anything about these. We have this advantage now. It's all very interesting. Um, it does though, at the same exact time, I miss regular eliminations. And so, I don't know that I would, you know, want them to have exiles all the time. I don't know if there's some mix of like, could you do exiles or an elimination in the same season? I don't really know, but I do like that they did the exiles here and that they do it again in Fresh Meat too. The biggest thing about the exiles though, before we get into the four best of the season, it really in a lot of ways comes down to the weight because the interesting little, you know, twist that they add on it is for the duration of every exile, you have to carry the same amount of weight as you brought with you into Australia. And let me quickly just run through how much weight that was per team because this is the the hidden secret to Wes and Casey's success is that they're just the lightest packers of anyone because they have a total of 113 pounds that they have to carry in their five different exiles. The next lowest team was Johanna and Jesse at 133. Then we got Darrell and Aviv at 140 pounds, Danny and Evelyn at 150 pounds. And it should be noted, 
Exile number one, Danny and Evelyn versus Wes and Casey. There's a bunch of complaining. Evelyn's like, me and Danny packed half of Melinda's stuff. I can't believe we have so much more weight. When it turns out after that, 150 pounds wasn't bad because then there was Melinda and Ryan with 156, Tina and Kenny with 164, Shane and Lynette, 171, Theo and Shonda, 186, Derek and DM, 215, Katie and Eric, 216, and then the all-timer, poor Johnny McBride. Tanya and Johnny had 253 pounds between them. And yeah, uh, we I don't have the exact number in front of me here, but that was uh, that breakdown was pretty heavily skewed one side versus the other. Um, yeah, or I mean, they both it was crazy, but Tanya 153 pounds of that were hers, and then 100 pounds for Johnny. So they both were the two biggest packers on either the male or the female side by a wide margin. They end up as partners. That was really what brought them down. But Wes and Casey having only the 113 really was the kind of the big difference uh, ultimately in, you know, in being able to have that massive advantage every time they went in there, whether they realized that in the moment or how long it took them to realize that or not, uh, that was the case. But of while they're all the same, there's still some that were better than others. So four nominees for the best of the season. Episode six, Wes and Casey beating Johanna and Jesse. We said before, Johanna and Jesse should have won that elimination. That is why that one was a little bit more interesting. Episode 10, Tina and Kenny, my favorite team this season for all the comedy they brought, beat Katie and Eric. It is a real race the whole time. There is screw-ups and hijinks on both sides of these two teams um, and it's very close right down to the end. Tina and Kenny get the win episode 14, Tina and Kenny again, when they beat Theo and Shonda, um, that is the best physical team. They knock them out. Theo and Shonda can't do the puzzles. It completely betrays them. Tina and Kenny, it's a wild back and forth because Tina and Kenny keep messing up, um, and having to go back. Uh, but they, they, they still somehow pull out the win. That one's great. Episode 15, Darrell and Aviv beat Derek and DM. The bold strategy we talked about before from Derek and DM, you know, it's super duper sad when they lose given her entire story arc. And at that point, no matter who they're going against, you're, you're rooting for them in a big way of like, I really want this girl to win. Um, doesn't happen. Of those four, though, Tina and Kenny beating Theo and Shonda was definitely the most uh, the most memorable of the four, the highest rated for me of the four or of any of them that season. It takes home the award for the best elimination of the season. Our final athletic-based award, then the best athletic performance of the season, and there's some obvious nominees for this. Four total, let's talk about the two that aren't going to be anywhere near the win, um, but deserve to be nominated in our actual individual one-time performances. That would be Theo and Shonda in cross paths where they had to stand on opposite platforms about 20, 30 feet apart with a rope between them. They had each you know, shimmy across the same rope, crossing each other in the middle, get to the other side as quick as possible. Theo and Sean to do it in 52 seconds. Second place team is a minute 26. Third place team is 210. Every other team is three minutes plus. So they do it way faster than everyone else. They make it look easy, and it is incredibly, incredibly hard. Shout out to them for that. Derek and DM then in deep blue. They win that one, the one we just talked about, the best daily of the season. They win by one second, not even a full second, like a half a second over Theo and Shonda. And that is an, a, a really, really intense moment of the season. That was basically one of those two teams was going in to the elimination. It ends up being Theo and Shonda because of Derek and DM's win and because that one was so scary and hard of a daily challenge. It's got to be nominated here. But the two candidates that really take it home first, 
There's West and Casey. Uh, not a single one, but just five exile wins, regardless of the competition they were going against, the mistakes that they made or others made. Five for five in the exiles, incredibly impressive. Um, they have to be nominated for the best athletic performance, but they do not win because this has to go to Evan and Coral. It just has to go to Coral and Evan, no matter what, any way you slice it. They won five out of six dailies prior, prior to being injured. They're all kinds of different daily challenges. And again, the one they didn't win, they purposely didn't win. They probably could have. They probably would have if they would have really tried. So that's just incredible. And if we have to give it to one specific of those five daily wins, probably rolling in the oats where they had, I believe it was 10 minutes total to run back and forth across the field, dive in a vat of oats, put it anywhere they could on their body, hold as much of it as they could, run it back and deposit it in their bin. Most weight wins. They ended that challenge with 23.6 pounds. Second place was 19.8. Third was 14. Fourth was eight. So another one where it's just, they won far and away. It wasn't just, they won, but just smoked everyone. So that one, if we have to pick an individual, but in general, just Coral and Evan, five out of six dailies. That is the best athletic performance of the season, bar none. Then we move into the show side of things. We covered our three awards in the sports side. Let's move to the show side of our two pillars. And we've got best quote. In my goodness, we've got a lot of nominees. I was not willing to, you know, dwindle this down. Maybe I should take the path that, you know, an Oscars or a Grammys does and say maximum number of nominees is this. But I wanted to celebrate the fact that we could have put in the evolutions segment that this is the season where things really ramp up in the confessionals and we start to get a lot of people who know what they're doing, how to be entertaining in those, talking shit, making jokes, being witty, all the good things, all the great confessional stuff. So I'm going to run through these as quickly as we can. We're just going to kind of play them one after the other with very little introduction because there is four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 nominees, if you can believe it. So let's just run through them chronological as quickly as we can here because they all deserve some mention. We got Theo in episode one discussing the idea of these fresh meat people coming into this game, not having any prerequisites, that he doesn't do that to other types of people and other types of jobs. Take it away, Theo. Who are these kids? It's not like I come to their job and try to like outdo them. You know, you don't see me showing up at Starbucks trying to out latte one of these kids. If it wasn't obvious in Theo's first three seasons on the show why he would eventually become a stand-up comedian this season, cemented that. He's always got the joke. Second nominee, Tina, episode two. Another one of Tina. She's just the best. You could put uh, an entire reel of all the time. She just lays out very declarative statements about this game. So perfectly this one, another example of that. Take it away, Tina. You do not belong here. This is our turf, and we're going to kick the ones we don't like off real quick this isn't a game this is politics then we got theo again in episode five wes goes nuts on everyone when he and johanna get in their little fight because johanna doesn't want to necessarily try to argue her way out of going into elimination she feels like it's inevitable which it is wes decides i'll go ballistic on everyone theo thinks that's funny and he doesn't speak the language that wes is yelling because I'm coming back and I'll just keep beating all you guys no matter what the f*** happens. Put in what's fair or else I'm going to send all you guys home next. Really, I understand you're livid, dude. I'm extremely livid right now. I understand, I understand that, but at the same time, you're also del- semi-delusional, yes. you know? Unfortunately, I can't really figure out exactly what Wes is saying because I don't speak idiot. But what I do derive is that he doesn't want Johanna to go in against him. 
well, uh, you shouldn't have put the idea in our heads then. Fourth nominee then, next episode, episode six, Casey. Uh, she starts standing up for herself a little bit towards Wes, at least in confessional. And in this moment, she and Wes are going against John Johanna in the elimination. And uh, Casey doesn't give a shit that it's Wes's girlfriend. He doesn't care if anyone related to Wes shows up. He better be giving it his all. I expect Wes to do a really good job in the exile. I don't care if his girlfriend is in the exile. I don't care if his mom is in the exile. Wes isn't just doing this for him. He has another teammate. Goodbye, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Then third time, not his last time, Theo, another nominee. Episode seven, another one related to Wes. He has a hand in throwing Wes in yet again into elimination. And yet again, he doesn't care what Yes is yelling and ranting about. We vote Wes and Casey in because Wes mentioned the other day when he was ranting that he will go in every time and blah, 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 blah. I got a mohawk. So uh, here you go, bro. You can go back in. Wes and He follows that up then in episode eight with his fourth nominee for the quote of the year. And this one, well, for those just listening on audio, uh, it'll be fine. It doesn't get the whole thing wrong because part of this quote is that he's also wearing the head of the rabbit costume that he seemingly brought with him to Australia that makes a couple appearances, most notably when he and Big Easy are taking turns wearing it and have a very funny uh, memorable exchange, but he talks about his relationship with Lynette. Theo and Lynette have been getting a little close, and Theo discusses that. Just sort of like a little bilingual love, I guess you would call it. I don't know what's going on there. You know, we're just a couple of crazy little rabbits just having a good little time in Mr. McGregor's garden. Then there's Kenny in episode nine talking about, you know, this is right after a moment we're going to discuss where he votes for himself. uh, And he, you know, Tina's wanting to politic. Kenny's not having any of it. We're an easier team to pick on. You want to put us first in a challenge? Put us first in a challenge. Want to put us last? Put us last. You want to throw us in the exile? You're going to do it anyway, so I'm not going to kiss your ass while you're kicking me in mine. Then Darrell starts to make his presence known via confessional in the latter half of the season. It starts with letting people know where he's from and how he's going to take it when he is thrown into an elimination, especially by someone he considered a friend. Wes is trying to hustle. You got to do what you got to do to survive. But be smart about it, bro. You think I'm stupid like I was born yesterday? I ain't from Kansas. I'm from the town, baby. I recognize You just hung yourself. Your ass, I see you in exile, bro. You're definitely going in. Casey gets back in the mix in episode 12. She quits during one of the daily challenges. She refuses to jump off of the high jump, uh, you know, 12 meters, 40 feet, whatever it is, down into the lagoon. And she thinks she has a very good reason for not wanting to do so. Take it away, Casey. Three seconds. Just step off. Jumping four stories. It's four stories in the water. I'm not doing it. Call me a Call me scaredy cat. Yeah, you guys are disqualified for that. No person in their right mind decides one day, you know, maybe I'll just jump four stories. Maybe that's a good idea. No one does that. That very same episode, that very same mission, Darrell gets another 
nominee for the quote of the year. After they jump down into the water, their next task is to climb up on uh, what I can only refer to as a bladder. If you've ever been to a, uh, you know, a summer camp or one of the lakes where they've got all the inflatable games and, you know, the bladder thing where one person sits on the end, the other jumps on one and it flings them up in the air. They have to climb atop one of those. It's very slippery and it's very topsy turvy. It's very hard to stay balanced on top. They have to move very carefully while on top of this. And that reminds Darrell of something from his past. Crawling on the super wave reminds me when I used to sneak girls in the house and you had to tiptoe and you didn't want to get caught trying to be sneaky and trying to be like smooth without falling, without making the wrong move. Wes gets in on it in episode 14 with a nominee and it is in relation to good old Kenny. Wes and Kenny's, uh, they're pretty friendly. They're actually kind of allies on this season, more or less. Their rivalry would, you know, come a couple seasons into the future. But in this one, Wes is still taking jabs at Kenny when Kenny takes a dive during one of the challenges, busts up his nose, and Wes thinks it's funny that Kenny isn't concerned about going into elimination or the poor performance. He's only concerned about his pretty little face. Yeah. The fact that Tina and Kenny potentially just won this challenge, and the only thing that is on Kenny's mind is the fact that he's no longer pretty. Oh, tear. Then the final two nominees, both from the final challenge. First, Casey, who has made it there against all the odds, against everyone talking crap all season long, most notably her partner, not cool Wes, as always. But she's got one thing to say to all the teams that are not there when she is. To all the people who aren't here because of injuries or being kicked off by either Tina and Kenny or Wes and I, I just want to say, ha! And then the final one is Darrell again after winning all, 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 all the championships that he's racked up at this point, four by four champion, and he's reveling in it, and he deserves to talk that talk, and he does. Real World Road Rules Challenge Fresh Meat Champions. Darrell and Aviv made it happen. You guys got the puzzles right, and it all came down to the puzzles. So congratulations to you guys. You guys will be splitting $250,000. Y'all got to get rid of me while you can. If I'm there and you ain't on my team, you ain't winning, damn it. History repeats itself. Congratulations. So of all those many, many nominees, uh, it is crazy that at the end of the day, I'm going to actually pick the very first one, Theo in episode one. You know, I don't show up to their jobs at Starbucks trying to out latte these kids. I just find that to be absolutely hilarious. And it's and it's literally like the first confessional of the season, which is crazy that that then becomes the quote of the year. And on top of that, the quote of the season, Theo will also win the Dan Renzi Award for the confessional king or queen of the season. While it didn't show up here in these nominees, Tina definitely made a run for this. Tina's confessionals were unbelievable this whole season long. Um, you know, only the one gets her nominated during for this specific quote, but her confessionals are as good or better than everyone not named Theo. But yet again, Theo, who I believe this is his second time winning this award, uh, takes home both the quote of the year and the Dan Renzi Award for the confessional king of the season. Then we move to the Iconic Moment Award. And this one is interesting because this season, while it has, you know, some of the best storylines we've seen, some of the best set and, you know, mixture of storylines, it's got all this great stuff about it. The one single spot this season lacks, and we'll discuss this now, and it'll be brought up again when we talk the full season grade here in a few minutes. 
but it doesn't quite have those singular moments that really, really, really stand out. The nominees for this category are more, you know, they're great moments, but they're ones that kind of are a part of a larger story. That's an incredible, great, memorable storyline, but the actual singular moment of, you know, don't really stack up to, you know, Tanya throwing Beth's clothes in the pool, uh, Julie trying to remove Veronica's harness, Coral, you know, and Julie's fight, all the all the big, 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 big moments we've had in some recent seasons past. But that doesn't mean there wasn't some good ones. It just means that none of these are probably making our kind of all-time final, you know, whatever we do, 16, 32, whatever, final best moments in challenge history, most memorable, iconic, infamous moments in challenge history bracket that we do at the end of this whole thing. None of these are probably making it, but they're still worthy of getting nominated for this season. Let's start first, just a really super fast run through these smaller moments that are kind of the honorable mention uh, because they're just small things I love and deserve a quick shout out. Episode two, Casey lying about eating kangaroo balls, sacks, and tongue. So this is after the first exile. Wes and Casey come back, and they decide in the car we should tell them something totally different than what it was. We should lie, and Casey gets into it. They decide in the car, let's say it was just eating. That's all it was, and it was kangaroo, and it was gross. It was like kangaroo balls and sacks and tongue. And one of them, I forget who, says like, do they even have balls and sacks, like whatever? What, like, is this going to make sense? And Wes is like, no one will even ask. It'll, it'll just be fine. No one, no one's going to say anything. And who cares if they know we're lying? Casey gets so into it. It's such a funny moment. Her and she just stands with the whole crowd captivated, the whole place, saying, "We had to run here, eat this. Run here, eat this. And this is what they taste like. And it's just fantastic." Can you tell me how the competition was set up? It was just like us, like over here, and then them at the other. Like we could see, the but like it wasn't like. Yeah. We have a really big advantage right now. Casey and I know what one exile is like, and we decided that that information is for us. So we're gonna keep the truth quiet, and then tell everyone else something completely different. Just get them all jumbled up because it can only help. And there was like a box, and there's kangaroo sack, kangaroo tongue, and then kangaroo balls. And it tasted kind of like jerky with like a nice like oozy ooze to it. It is so much fun telling everybody that I ate kangaroo sack, tongue, and balls. We are just like manipulating the heck out of them right now. Then there is Tina and Kenny shadow boxing and busting each other's balls. These two are just su- such a perfect match made. They make so much sense as partners. They both understand each other and they both kind of have that like I want to have a little bit of an abrasive relationship with my partner I want to be able to kind of bust their chops and joke with them but know that we're still in it together we're still both going to try the you know there's many many moments throughout the season where this happens but this one was you know one of the best Oh, I got more balls than you, bitch, because you can't see You can't win. Well, you're used to eating dirty. Oh, as if you were. I saw your picture of your girl. Oh! I love chilling up with my partner, Kenny. He's mad hilarious. He gets my jokes, but he thinks that we're just going to try to have as much fun as possible. He doesn't realize that this is a job, that you need to get in there and do it and love it and, you know, try to win. I mean, you want to win these things. 
Third smaller honorable mention moment then. We have said it before, episode six, Casey losing it on West with TJ just kind of leaning against the car laughing during the credit scene where they're clearly waiting for the van to take them back to the house. Love, love, love that. Episode 10, Evan, right before uh, the he eventually gets like goes from bad hernia to like you're gonna maybe die hernia. He at the bar they continue to go to joins the state uh, the contest on the stage. He blows condom balloons. It's all great. He wins the contest. Whatever the hell's going on in that bar, it's a fun little moment. Episode eleven sees two of them. First Tina. <laughs> going absolutely wild on the bottom of a ladder. The the con- the daily challenge, that one, they have to each climb down a ladder on either side of this little boat hanging way above the water. And when they get to the bottom, they have to transfer ladders. And as the first team to go, Tina and Kenny have no idea how to get their ladders to swing next to each other. And Tina tries everything in the book to do it. And the little montage of every way she tried is just fantastic and hilarious. The credit scene then of episode 11, again, bring back... The credit scenes, they're always so funny and interesting. This one was one of the best. Theo brushes his teeth and washes his hair in the pool uh, to start, it sounds like maybe multiple days, not just a one-off, but Wes and uh, Evan just sit and watch as Theo washes his hair in the pool, like a full, like scrubs all the shampoo in, dips his head in the water to clean it out. Then, you know, like brushes his teeth using the pool water to rinse. Uh, It's just hilarious. Their commentary on it's hilarious. The whole thing's great. And then Tina and Kenny, in episode 14, when they come back from exile, their big upset win in exile, they hide in the trunk and they don't get out. They make someone, eventually it's Wes that comes from the house is like, all right, who's going to come out of the car already? And he opens his doors. He doesn't see anyone. They're hiding in the truck. It's great. So all those little small moments deserve honorable mention, but the four that get nominated for the moment of the season, first one is, I think I said episode two before it was really episode three. Um, DM revealing her cancer diagnosis to Derek and then, you know, and, you know, obviously to the viewer as well. Um, this is one of, you know, kind of all of these end up being, you know, DM, we talked at length about her story is one of the biggest storylines of the season. This is probably the biggest, you know, the initial moment of it is the biggest moment within it, but there's so many moments throughout, but that's the one we're going to give the nod for the nominee for the moment of the season. Then episode six, the costume party. Every season's got to have one great party or it's not a very good season. This one has a great costume party. There's Tanya in whatever out, uh, whatever the costume she's trying to go for, but with the cigarette hanging from the mouth and the red lingerie and the robe with it uh, has a moment. There's uh, Big Easy and Katie as the hillbilly family being funny. There's a lot of great outfits going on and that leads into Wes and Johanna having to make up. That whole little couple minute segment, that moment, that party is definitely nominated for the moment of the season. Then episode nine, Kenny votes for himself and Tina loses it on him at the time of the vote. It's halfway through the vote. I believe there is uh, six teams voting at this point. Um, And the first, you know, six votes go for Kenny and Tina. Tina, of course, says someone else. And there's still mathematically a chance that the two teams after them, which is Darrell and Aviv and Derek and DM, I believe, could vote with them and cause a tie. But Kenny's just looks, reads the room as like, it seems like it's going to be us. So I guess I'll just say us. And Tina can't stand it. It leads to a huge fight between them. Their fights are hilarious every time because they're kind of joking with each other. She's serious, but they're both able to laugh at it. They A lot of insults are flying back and forth, but in a friendly, partner-like manner. The whole thing's great. Their, their relationship is hilarious throughout this season. And then the fourth and final nominee, uh, and also the winner of 
the most, you know, the iconic moment, whatever we call this, something different almost every season. The best moment, the iconic moment, the infamous moment, the memorable moment, the biggest moment of the season. The one that is the most top of mind for me when I first think of this season is Coral and Evan being told they have to go home. Um, the fact that Justin Booth had to come in, has to tell them the way TJ presents it, how bummed TJ is about the whole thing. The fact that they were dominating the whole thing coming into that. They were, you know, the story, the team of the season up until that point. That moment sticks out to me more so than any other, you know, a couple of the other storyline DM storyline maybe is a little bit more top of mind. But if I'm thinking of just a singular moment, that one is kind of the first, the first thing I see in my head when I think of this season is Justin Booth having to tell them to their faces, like, no, you are not allowed to continue. You have a serious injury. You need surgery. Stop. This is insane. I will remember that always and forever. That leads us right into the best episode of this season. This is a pretty easy one to give out. Uh, we're going to give it to episode 13, Diving In. That has the Deep Blue, the best daily challenge of the season. The game is really in the balance. There's a lot of suspense at this point of who's going to make it to the final, where the alliances are kind of been shifting. Has the Derek and DM fallen for each other? Kind of their romance hits a high gear in this particular episode. It also has Derek essentially betraying Theo and Darrell, ending up his two allies end up in elimination versus each other. There's this incredible uh, editing shot, uh, well-planned, well-shot at the end of this where there's two vans driving them back from the daily challenge and Darrell and Theo are in one, Derek's in the other and Darrell and Derek are right next, they drive right next to each other on the highway and Darrell and Derek are kind of looking at each other through the window and Darrell's all pissed and it's just this unbelievable shot that they got. So that episode, definitely the best rated. If I though had to give out a best two episode run because this season, like many that have come before it, kind of, you know, one round of everything uh, happens in two epi- over a two episode run. Episodes nine and 10, is the best two episode run, the best full round of the season. It's got great quotes, two great dailies, Evan and Coral, their injuries, and they end up in the hospital at the end of that episode. There's a lot of great Tina and Kenny stuff in that episode. There is the Tina and Kenny versus Eric and Katie exile that happens. All, all great, great stuff. So if I was taking two episode round, that would win, but on its own standalone episode 13 is the best episode of the season. On to the big, big, big awards. We've got our season MVP, but we've also got our most heated rookie of the year battle. Rookie of the season, excuse me. There's two seasons per year. So we got to call this rookie of the season um, that there's ever been. Usually that's a pretty quick and easy part to run through right before we get to MVP, but these battles mirror each other in a large way because as we said at the start of this, 16 of the 24 people on this cast are rookies. So rookie of the year itself is really, really tough. Uh, normally, we just pick one kind of one winner, really. But we're going to do a top five and honorable mention real quick because uh, they just it's you know, it's basically the whole cast, so it kind of deserves it. Um, honorable mention goes to Shonda, Evan, Johnny, and Easy. Obviously, Evan absolutely dominant in the time he was there. We mentioned before, you know, him and Cora were on their way uh, to an MVP candidacy if they stuck around long enough. Shonda kicked ass this season. Johnny. Why Johnny and Shonda both kicked ass, why they never came back, maybe they didn't get asked, maybe they didn't want to, I don't know, but I thought they were both awesome and should have been brought back. And then, of course, Big Easy, love Big Easy. Uh, he He's fantastic this season. But the top five best rookies this season, fifth place, got to go with Aviv. I know she won. You'd think maybe the winner gets a little higher, but she's not super involved confessional-wise. She's not. Her and Darrell aren't super involved until the 
last third really of the season in general. So yeah, she kicks ass throughout, um, but she's just not she's not super involved until the very very end when she proves that she was maybe the best woman there all along and has partnered with one of the best, if not the best male there all along. But she gets in fifth. Kenny comes in fourth. He's providing laughs throughout. Him and Tina, absolutely fantastic throughout. Uh, he comes in fourth. DM in third. An incredible arc, an incredible story that would go on many, many seasons of the challenge. Is one of the all-time greats. Uh, great, you know, one of the all-time memorable stories and arcs in challenge history, as we said everything about it before. She comes in third. And then the top two, got to split this team up somehow. I'm going to go ahead and slot Wes in at second. I'm giving the rookie of the season award to Casey, uh, mostly because, you know, this season was in a lot of ways about Wes. We're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, Casey was the one who had to put up with Wes's bullshit when they both won those five finals and they both came in third place overall. So I'm giving the nod to Casey because she's the one that had to put up with all that shit from Wes, even if uh, their record setting uh, six daily DQs between them were, you know, fell a little more on Casey's shoulders than Wes. They didn't all fall on Casey's shoulders. There's a couple of those that were uh, West just deciding, ah, we don't got it today and let's just give up. So Casey is the rookie of the year, but that leads us to the MVP, which to a slight degree mirrors that a little bit, but the alumni really took it home. While there was only eight true, true alumni, you know, there was technically 12, but there's eight real ones. They dominate this. Um, the where were you portion of this, uh, got to go to Evelyn and Katie, obviously Evelyn, just because what we'd eventually know and uh, come to know about her and her abilities in this show really stinks that she was out within two episodes on her rookie season. I'm sure we would have got a ton from her, um, but we didn't because we barely saw her. And then Katie was the only one that I felt like, you know, we know she's an all-star. We know, uh, you know, she is, you know, been in the MVP discussion for full seasons before and didn't get a lot of her this season. And so she falls in the kind of, where were you? Why didn't, why didn't we get a little bit more? And it just comes down to not everyone can be center stage every season. There's too many people and this season had an amazing cast. Then the gone too soon. We said before, we'll say it one more time, Coral and Evan, they were the top front runners for MVP through 10 episodes when they, they went home, they would have definitely, uh, if not for the injuries, not only do I think they possibly win this season, um, at least make the final of the season for sure. Um, they, they probably win one of them, if not tie somehow co MVP, win the MVP of the season, then the top five ballot, let's get to the actual, and this is really, really difficult because of the way the storylines broke down this season. And so many people having such big storylines for a por big portion of the season, um, because you know, so many people did so well, it's really, really difficult to pick this out. And so we've got a couple dual nominees here. This top five is technically a top seven, but in fifth place, we got to go with my guy, Theo Vaughn, his final season on the show. Uh, I believe he comes in the top five of all four seasons he's on. He is in the top five of the MVP voting, which is unbelievably impressive. He's just so good in the confessionals. He and Shonda kick ass in the dailies. They just can't solve a puzzle to save their lives or else they very likely could have won this whole thing. But he comes in fifth place. Fourth place is Darrell. Now, Darrell wins. He becomes the 4 by 4 champ. That is amazing. You'd think, ah, that's a shoe-in for MVP, right? Not a chance. He's He does end up at the back half of the season, has some amazing quotes, gives us some great confessionals. Um, but overall, as I had said with Aviv, 
Darrell and Aviv really aren't involved. They're not winning much. They're performing well, but not winning much in the first half of the season. They're really not involved of the big storylines. You know, they're not really a part of anything to do with the Austin cast getting eliminated early. Evan and Coral, you know, they're not a part of that. DM and Derek, DM's whole cancer subplot, they're not a part of that. They're just a really good team that in the end proves to be the best team and wins the whole thing. He has some good quotes. He definitely deserves getting some votes for MVP, but he doesn't move any higher than fourth. Third, then, this is where it starts to get really tricky um, and where it may get controversial. I feel like none of my MVP picks thus far have been controversial. I feel like this one may be the first one where I'm letting a little personal bias and a little bit of if I don't like everything uh, that you did on the season, maybe maybe I, I, I tend to lean a different way. But in third place, we've got a co-nominee co, uh, here, co-ballot uh, getters. Um, Derek and DM together, uh, their story, you know, is such a big part of the season. They perform so well, the three daily wins, they, you know, have some good quotes and confessionals themselves. DM story is, you know, a heartbeat of the season for sure. They are definitely, you know, if you remove them, this season loses a lot, but I don't think they quite eclipse the next two, three people really that we're going to talk about. So they're in third place as a unit. In second place, then, this is where it gets a little a little tricky. Um, this season really is about Wes uh, in the end. He, by far, has the most confessionals. He and Casey together, um, and he is kind of the one doing a lot of the talking about them, even if you know it's kind of annoying and uh, not a great look at a lot of the time. But Wes is kind of the face of this season. Austin is the face of the season to start it. He's the one remaining. He beats all the other Austin people. He gets all the way to the end. They're in the five exiles. His confessional counts are, you know, significantly higher than anyone else. But I can't split him and Casey up really at the end of the day. I can't choose between them. I did it for the rookie of the season. But um, if we're being honest, if I had to pick from an MVP standpoint, I would pick Wes over Casey. And I might even pick, pick, should probably pick Wes to be the actual MVP of this whole season. But I can't overlook the fact that, uh, he does talk down to her so much and it's, it's not great. And I love that he learned from this. And I love the human being that Wes is today. He's one of my absolute favorite people in the world of the challenge. I root for him so much. I'm so happy. He just won all-stars three. Uh, sorry if that's a spoiler for anyone listening. Uh, apologies. I know it's only been a couple weeks. Maybe you're not caught up, but I can't, because of that, I can't give him the win. And because of that, I, I have to slot Wes and Casey in at second and the winner is someone who I haven't talked that much about this podcast, but I truly believe when looking at this season as a whole, if you're going to remove one person, the biggest impact is Tina. Uh, Tina is a tour de force this season. She is, even though she is not the main person in any of those subplots, she is a part of all of them. She is kind of the ringleader of the, obviously we're going to get Austin out first, right? Um, she is, you know, the one who, even though she's good friends with Coral and Evan, uh, and you know, her and Coral, Evan and Kenny end up being good friends. She knows we probably got to do something about them. She's the first one to say how unbelievable it is that they're leaving the game. And that opens up a spot for a worse team to do better. They are the ones that kind of turn the tides on Derek and DM near the end of the season and cause some, you know, rifts between them. 
they are comedy throughout. They got mentioned a lot in the quotes and especially in the moments of the season and the little moments throughout the season. Every couple episodes, they show up and they have great stuff. Her commentary on all the other storylines in the interview, she has you know the third most confessionals of the season, carries it in that way. They get to the end. They get second. Um, I just, I, I know that I might look back on this and retroactively think that I've got to give this to Wes or I've got to give this to DM or Darrell, but I find myself, uh, in the hardest decision I think I've had to make of any of the season MVPs. I've got to give it to Tina. I think that without Tina, uh, this season really falls apart in a big way of they needed the one of the eight true alumni veterans to really hold this thing together and, you know, Derek kind of, you know, as he should, and it's a beautiful storyline, but kind of DM, you know, overshadows a little in that partnership. Darrell's really in the background. Coral is doing that to some degree along with Tina, but then, you know, exits. Theo's doing it a little bit, but is more just that confessional guy and not so much all overall. He's not quite as comfortable in the season as he has been in ones past. Tina is the star of stars in this season. She's in her element. She's got the exact perfect partner for her, all of her, you know, comedy to shine, everything about it. Tina is the MVP of the season. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll feel differently tomorrow, but today that's how it's going. And that's where it's going in the record books. With that, we come to the end here. And the biggest, most important thing we've got to do, we save for last. That is the season grade. We've got to give it out. It's overall grade. Place it in the Pantheon for all time. And uh, this one, this one's right up there. So let's break it down. As we always do, we got a female cast grade, a male cast grade, a sport grade, and a show grade. The cast is two parts. We grade both parts. The entire challenge itself is the two pillars, the sport and the show. We grade both of those. We add those all up to some degree, average them out, give us an overall grade, place it in the Pantheon. Let me pull up the list so we've got things to compare it to, and here we go. Let's start with the female cast first, and as we've been doing for a few seasons in a row now, we break the cast down. Heavy hitters, solid contributors, duds on the female side. In the heavy hitters category, we got Tina, Coral, Katie, Tanya, DM, and Evelyn. Now, as always, we're grading this on retroactively, kind of looking back. In the moment, do we know that Evelyn's going to have this huge challenge resume and huge presence in the challenge later on? No. We see her for two episodes. We barely learn anything about her other than she seems to be a badass. And that's about it. Um, but we know looking back, you know, as far as people on this show that have huge outsized impacts that are heavy hitters in the challenge world, all of these six women fit that bill. Solid contributors then, Johanna, Aviv, Casey, Shonda, and Lynette. The only dud, I apologize again. I know uh, I recently had to do this on an All-Stars season, but Melinda uh, and you know Danny will also be on the dud side, on the male side. Just really, it doesn't work for her in the flagship challenge house. It eventually, way later down, present day, works for her much better in the All-Stars world, making a better impact value add player there. Doesn't really work in this season or in the couple seasons she would be on. So we get one dud, uh, five solid contributors, six heavy hitters. That is a really good mix. And importantly, you know, Tina at least makes it to the very end and DM makes it almost to the very end. Um, so we get, and Coral, you know, dominates early on. So we get some of those heavy hitters being the faces of the season. 
So with that, we give the female cast grade a B plus, which puts it not quite. We've had a couple A minuses and we've had some other B pluses, a bunch of other B pluses. So it's not the best female cast ever, but it's right in, you know, it's battling for maybe the top five spots. You know, it's somewhere between third and seventh of the 12 seasons we've seen so far. It's really, really solid but there's still room for it to be, you know, in that all time, that a ranking, which is where the male cast finds itself. The male cast gets an a minus. We'll just hit the grade right from the start. Heavy hitters list, Darrell, Wes, Derek, Theo, Shane, Kenny, Evan, pretty incredible. Um, solid contributors, big, easy Johnny, who again, should have been brought back and Ryan, the two duds, Danny and Jesse just don't really work. Um, you know, Danny's uh, challenge career is one that, uh, gets, you know, I think wrongfully how much he kind of gets hated on, but I'm still myself putting him in the dud category. But while this breakdown, you know, five, you know, what's that? One, two, three, seven out of 12 are heavy hitters. That's awesome. Not quite all time levels that, you know, a previously like an Inferno one cast or Inferno two cast would have been. But the great thing about this that elevates it from maybe that high B plus into that A minus into that A territory is the fact that these people basically go home in reverse order of, you know, our heavy hitters, Darrell, Wes, and Kenny are in the final. Derek, Theo, and Shane are the last three eliminated and Evan right before that. So those seven heavy hitters are the seven last guys standing, which is pretty incredible and helps boost the score a little bit. On the sports side of things, we talked about some of the best dailies we've had. And then while I really, really like the Exiles, uh, they can't be graded super high, even if they were really good and competitive and fun, because you know they are this different thing that's a little bit different than the eliminations we would know and love over the years. So we're giving the sport grade a solid B. It's really, really good across the board. There's a couple high-level moments. There's a couple that kind of wane and kind of duds of dailies because of the whole exile right after daily thing that we talked about. So we give that a B, which still overall compared to a lot of the seasons before, we're on a streak of this is the third straight season where we're at a B or second straight uh, the one before Inferno two is a B plus we're starting to hit our stride with the athletic side, the sports side of this show, but there's still, there's still a whole new level that can be reached and that will probably be reached in seasons to come on the show grade side. We got so much good stuff and this, we end up with a B plus on the show grade. I really was torn between a minus B plus. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards actually making this maybe an a minus. Um, but that would put it tied for the best, you know, show grade ever. And I kind of wanted there to be some difference between this and the Inferno one. And the difference really is just, it's missing those, you know, those iconic moments, those true iconic moments. And like we talked about when we did that award without those, it's kind of tough to put this in that true a range, but it, if it would have had just one truly singular iconic moment, I think this could have been an a plus show grade. Cause we got amazing romance storylines. We have Derek and DM, sweet, wonderful, wonderful to watch. Theo and Lynette have a romance this season. It's interesting. It's a full storyline. Wes and Johanna and Danny and Melinda obviously coming in as couples. We find out in the reunion there's a bunch of hookups that were happening that we kind of get alluded to during the season, but we don't totally know, confirm till the reunion. But romance side covered. Betrayal side. 
obviously, you know, he's not doing it himself, but Wes has to beat three other Austin cast members, including his best friend, best friend's fiance and girlfriend. That's, you know, pretty crazy and interesting. Derek, you know, what he, he and DM to Theo and Darrell and Aviv and Lynette, uh, you know, what they have to do there that we get some real juicy betrayal, even, you know, Tina celebrating <laughs> Coral and Evan going home a little bit falls in that we get the great storylines, everything we talked about DM, Evan, Coral, Tina and Kenny being gold, the Austin Exodus early, all the storylines we talked about. So it's all, all great. All where you'd say this has got to be in that a category, but it, we have to keep it down just at that B plus because there isn't that one singular moment that stands out. And if we have zero moments that would make the all time great moments in challenge history bracket, I have a hard time putting your show grade. The ceiling feels like it's then capped at a B plus, which it does then reach. That leads us to our overall grade. And we are going to go ahead and give it an A minus, which ties it for first place officially with the Inferno one and the Inferno two both also received A minuses. I believe this season deserves to be in the A range deserves to be in that all time great tier. If we look at each letter grade from minus to plus as its own kind of tier. And as we talked about every time with our grading rubric, like A's are really hard to come by anything in the A territory, really, really hard to come by. You got to be great. Anything in the B territory is an awesome season of the challenge. That's really fun. Really good to rewatch really good stuff in the moment. C range is like, Hey, there was some good. There was also a lot of bad, this was kind of average. It didn't set the show back in any way, but it didn't really propel it forward. Didn't gain any viewers, anything like that. And then D range is like, you fuck some stuff up. This is, this is pretty, uh, atrocious. Um, God forbid anyone ever got an F. I don't think that's, I mean, if it was possible, it would be the last season of the show, but I believe this is the third season that we've covered of the first 12 that deserves to be in that all time. Great category. I don't know if I had to say one, two and three Inferno one, two and fresh meat how I would break those out as the absolute best of the best. Um, I already forget what I said on the Inferno 2 recap podcast. If I set decided between one and two, which one gets the edge. But looking at these of those three, I would probably still maybe if I had to split the split it down, Inferno 1 uh, maybe gets the top spot for me but this one's right there it's tied for first with those two it is in the top tier along with them those three of these 12 seasons are the right one and it really is those missing that iconic moment that keeps it from being not just tied from first but being first overall out of these 12 seasons because it is just at the end of the day it's the exact right mix of really good teams good competition suspenseful you don't know what's going to go down interesting strategy uh, great storylines, amazing storylines and a great breakup of, we got this storyline for four or five episodes. Then this one takes over. Then this one takes over and they're all interesting and good. And none of them take too much of the oxygen of the season. There's room for a bunch of different stuff to breathe. There's a great cast. It's just good. Everything across the board. And it's, uh, it's as good as we've gotten thus far in a little, got here in a little different way than the Inferno one and Inferno two did, but it gets an a minus and it becomes, you know, one of the top dogs in the pantheon in that top, top tier that when all is said and done, it's going to be in the discussion for, you know, top five, top 10 best season of all time. We'll see once we get 37 plus all stars, plus whatever else deep where it ends up, but it'll certainly right now slot somewhere in tier one, the top three in all time is one of my favorite seasons for sure. 
With that, we have covered it all. One of my favorite seasons ever is in the books. Thank you so much for being here, listening along. I know these recaps and rewatches are super duper lengthy podcasts, but it's for a reason. I love this stuff so much. I know you do too, and each one of these seasons deserves our time and attention that we weren't around in the podcasting world to talk about them in the moments. We're doing it now. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to get in touch, if you got feedback about these shows, if you've got opinions about this season of Fresh Meat or any of the others we've covered or will be covering upcoming, hit me up at Challenge Historian on Instagram. Follow us there to get in touch for extra content. Follow, subscribe this podcast feed so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back with Challenge USA coverage later this week. We'll be back with The Duel about a week or so from now. That'll be next up, moving along in the rewatch series. So a lot to look forward to. Fire up those Paramount Plus subscriptions. Get to binging. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you again soon. Peace.